change. And today we are going to be looking at post-traumatic growth, one of my favorite topics. And that's because it's all about how you rise after adversity. Uh, Today, I'm going to be joined by two guests. In the first hour, I'll be joined by Tahani Saeed. And in the second hour, I'll be joined by Patricia Brown. And we will be discussing the strength of post-traumatic growth. Now, trauma can be extremely daunting um, and debilitating, in fact, um, during some of the most pivotal times in our lives. And the question is, after we've experienced this trauma, what is the impact that it has on our lives? What is it that we do after the fact? And sometimes when we are aware of the possibility of using that trauma for growth, it enables us, it empowers us to make meaning of whatever it is that traumatized us um, and to, in fact, have a, a um, more powerful life um, as a result. Now, this is not to say that trauma is a good thing or that um, you know people need to have these horrible experiences in order to become great people. But if these are the things that happen in our lives, what is it that we need to do? What are the strategies? What are the tools? What are the ways uh, that we can experience growth after that trauma? So today is going to be a really important show, especially if it's something that you yourself has battled with or you're helping somebody else through it. I encourage you to tune in and uh, join in on the conversation. We are live on Facebook on the Sensation Station Network. So definitely join in, add your comments, share your story. Uh, We would love to integrate you into this conversation. So stay with us. We've got a great show ahead of you. And we'll be right back on the Live Exchange. post-traumatic growth and what that means after experiencing trauma. And I have a couple of guests who are going to help us break this down. And the first guest I'm really excited about because she is also um, a novelist and she um, wrote a novel um, that really um, digs into this idea of trauma. What does it look like when it starts in childhood and continues on into adulthood? So we're going to look at this. Um, And so first, let me go ahead and introduce our uh, first guest. Um, author and relationship columnist Tahani Saeed offers women logical solutions, methods, and suggestions for accomplishing positive outcomes in their relationships. Although Tahani understands the human need and desire to interact, connect, and behave with others, she also believes that a person does not need companionship to attain happiness and thrive in life. Tahani is also the host and creator of the YouTube series Bedroom Busters and bites and chat and chew with Tahani. So uh, without further ado, I would like to go ahead and bring Tahani on. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. I'm excited because we have some similar philosophies. Um, one of the books that I'm writing right now is called Joyfully Single. Um, and, you know, it's funny because people are like, how do those two words exist together? How could you be joyful and single at the same time? So mm-hmm. I love that you have a similar philosophy. <laughs> yes, 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 I do. I so do. I, there's a few things that I really want to kind of dig in with um, you on. If you know, so first of all, you have this book that that you wrote called um, "Lust Now, Cry Later." Mm-hmm. Um, I, so first of all, this, the title is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but second, as I've 
dug in a little bit and started to read. Um, Sadia's character is quite complex. And, and for those who have not yet picked up the book, what is the most important thing that you would want your audience to know about this character, Sadia? And am I pronouncing her name correctly? I yes, love this you are. Yes, you are. You are absolutely saying it correctly. Um, <laughs> well, what I wanted was for people to... Um, to kind of understand where she came from and then also um, just go with her throughout the journey of the toxicity and the relationships that she chose. I didn't want for people to um, kind of like judge her and, you know, call her, you know, weak or ignorant and things as such without really understanding why she made the decisions that yeah. she made throughout the story, because everyone has a history and, you know, it all starts from home and our upbringing. And yeah. that's something that I wanted for people to understand. So at the same time, it was kind of like I was taking my readers on an emotional roller coaster because at one point you think she's going to get it. And then it's like, man, she gets, just goes right back to the same type of, um, you know, behavior, which is, you yeah. know, destruct, you know, self-destructive behavior. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good way to do that and, you know, to kind of help, I guess, prevent people or or I maybe um, I, don't, I don't know if prevent people is the right word, but I'm thinking prevent people from just going straight into judgment because mm -hmm. to know her story right off the bat. I mean, I almost I have to be honest, I almost wanted to stop reading because I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But I was like, no, I got to keep reading, <laughs> you know, and so understand that. Yeah, I mean, and and it was it was um, it's just from the very beginning, it's gripping, and it's like, oh my gosh, what am I about to witness here? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, and and um, I just love how you do it. So without without giving it away, I just love how you did that um, opening. You know, and then the the flashbacks and the go. I'm I'm really big on flashbacks. Flash, you know, all all of how you know, and even flash forward. You know, so so very well job. Well done. And I, you know, I still have to finish it, uh -huh. but I, but I will say that it's definitely got me so far. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. That's exactly what I wanted. So I wanted to grip and just captivate the audience from the first page. So I'm yeah. happy that I was able to accomplish that with you. Yeah. Well, the other thing is the conflict between religion, um, you know, one's religious beliefs and one's um, relationship with their um, church and so forth, but then also that in conflict with the morality that you're supposed to maintain while you're within that church structure. So it's mm -hmm. it's very interesting. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it so, is. So in your from your you know perspective, um, since you know I'm bringing up the church, what are the ways in which um, you think? that people have struggled between trauma and their spirituality and church and, and so forth, you know, how do those two things line up for people who have experienced trauma? Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm not Christian. I, I used to be Christian. I um, mm -hmm. born Muslim. Um, I did convert to Christianity, but then reverted back to Islam. Um, I, yeah, and I did get that. I, I somehow I read that or something, so I did yeah, know that. I, yeah, you, asking. yeah, you know, you probably saw that in the very beginning of the the, the book where I gave you know phrases to Allah, which means God in Arabic. Yes. Um. So yeah. yeah so that's that's the giveaway. But um, you know, I, I think that a lot of times, first, I want to say that I think a lot of us 
And a lot of people look at these spiritual leaders as being God sometimes themselves. So, um, you know, when you read about stories with pastors doing things that they shouldn't have done and, and, and things as such, it kind of like puts a person in a position where they could stray away a little bit or feel like what they're doing is not as bad because, you know, you have these spiritual, you know, leaders, sometimes they're world, you know, worldly known spiritual, you know, leaders and things like that. So it, it kind of like, you kind of like straddle the fence a little bit. I think that a lot of people, and I would say in all religions are so focused on being perfect. We have to realize that we are imperfect and there's only one God. God realizes that. So when we make mistakes and when we do things that not are appeasing to him or things that go against what we are taught religiously, we have to understand that we're given the opportunity to repent. But sometimes the pain goes so deep until we feel as if we are unworthy um, to even come to him and repent and ask for forgiveness. So I think that's why people continue to just go down that 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 hole. You know, they just continue to just keep on going down like quicksand, you know. Right. Yeah. Well said. And and I thought um, who better to ask than somebody who has really dove deeply into two different religions to have kind of a sense of, so here's, I'm exploring, I'm, I'm really kind of getting to know what I was born with. I'm looking at this and now I'm going to make a decision about where I want to land. And that seems like exactly what you did. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm, I appreciate your, your take on it because a lot of times we only have one narrow view um, of, you know, when it comes to religion. So thank you for that. Um, we are going to go to a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about um, a couple of things that are trending in the world. And then we're going to dive right into um, um, <laughs> the, the conversation about trauma. Okay. <laughs> are we back? Are we doing trending topics? Let's, let's, uh, I can't tell, but I guess we're back. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. Um, and today we are talking trauma and um, I am just going to dive into trending topics. So um, trending today. Um, so as you may know, um, last um, night or two nights ago, um, eight people were killed in a massage uh, parlor. Um, in several different massage parlors in um, the Atlanta area um, Thursday evening and um, really um, impactful um, because it was just another hit um, against, you know, the Asian community. And there's been a lot of Asian hate that's been happening um, over the past year, especially um, and really linked to just the blame that um, has been attributed to Asians for the coronavirus, which is, you know, um, uh, you know, just it, it has caused a lot of, of trauma for the Asian community. And so um, while we don't hear about it a whole lot, one of the things that, um, you know, we've been hearing about it more recently, but one of the things that um, is 
historically the case for Asian Americans is that they have been um, really kind of labeled as the invisible minority. So meaning that the struggles and the challenges that they experience are not necessarily um, visible to the rest of us, and yet those struggles still exist. And so this might bring um, a bit more light and a bit more attention to um, some of the challenges that they do face um, as a community in this country. And I just, um, you know, my condolences to the family. Um, so um, also, though, in lighter news, um, um, we had a little bit of history take place um, with Tiffany Haddish this weekend. And we'll go ahead and uh, play that clip. I'm just happy with being nominated personally. I've been nominated means... a couple of times. You say what? That's been no- you've been nominated a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I've been nominated a couple of times for some things. But I just and I love. Lo- I just what? You just want a you Grammy. Just love being nominated. I just I just want a Grammy. No. I just are you are you serious? I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. I mean, wait wait wait. Oh, you see, y'all see this thing in my ear? Y'all see this in my ear? Tell them all you just won a Grammy. Congratulations. You just won the best comedy album. Y'all serious? I'm serious. There's no lie. This is for real. I really won. Well, whoa. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, yes, Tiffany Haddish won a, com- um, a, a Grammy for her comedy and um, just amazing. Um, and, you know, she is. Um, I, I believe first black woman to um, have won this a Grammy in this category. So it is just major. And we saw the emotion that, that she uh, showed here. Um, so Tahani, I, I don't know. Did you get a chance to check out the, the Grammys? Better? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Sorry. Um, for some reason, I'm muting and unmuting me. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, our producer is, is, is muting during the break, so we'll just have okay. to make sure you're unmuted when it's time to talk. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I did hear um, mixed reviews. So um, I am looking forward to, you know, watching it and then just coming up with my own, you know, perception of it and, you know, my own thoughts and ideas. So I always yeah. like, you know, I like to hear what other people think, you know, and I love to hear their opinions but and you know in the end I come up with my own conclusion so I am looking forward to doing something um maybe a write-up on, on it myself so oh, I love it I'm I love it. yeah I haven't watched it myself either I saw parts of it I didn't get to see it in you know whole in its whole form so mm-hmm. I too will, will be doing the same thing but it was okay. really <laughs> some of these highlights because I'm thinking and, you know and I do love because the part that I did see I do love how they are um, accommodating for you know the pandemic and and how creative networks have gotten you know when it comes to well let's just make sure that we do this these major events safe so another one would be the NBA All Star Weekend I definitely was front and center for that wow, <laughs> and, wow. and the way that that was done was just like wow this is ingenious I, I love the way that we wow. are yeah Excellent. so yeah so you know and look trauma is is such a wide thing and you know this whole pandemic um and there's so many aspects of this pandemic that have also been traumatic when we talk about trauma we also think um in terms of we tend to think in terms of relationships Mm -hmm. um but we look at what's going on in the larger context of society Mm -hmm. um gosh we we've got so much trauma that has played out over the past year Mm -hmm. have you seen this 
um, kind of add to the the types of trauma that you already have, you know, spoken about? <sighs> um, wow. Mental illness. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, okay, I'm, I'm really, I'm someone who really, um, I, I really am interested and I do a lot of research on a lot of the um, homicides that go on in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, it's just so disheartening to see so many young brothers taken out and just, oh gosh, it's just, it's just so heartbreaking the way these young men are dying due to mm-hmm. gun violence. And I think that once again, because I'm not the person to judge, but I think that before we start really judging and, you know, saying, oh, this was a bad person, this, that, and the third, we have to understand that these people go through certain things in life. And when you lose a certain amount of friends, you know, mm. these, these young men have experienced death, like, I mean, nonstop. That yeah. does something to you. You know, that can trigger um, all kinds of emotions. And if these things aren't addressed, you start to become heartless. You know, yep. you, you don't have the respect for humanity. And, you know, unfortunately, in these types of, 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 of places, you know, these low poverty places, mental illness is not looked at, you know, mm. but when you really sit back and think about it, these people are suffering mental yeah. illness. They have issues that are going on, you know, just from them experiencing these things. So it turns them into wanting to get revenge. And then you end up having mass murderers. You end up having men who retaliate, then they retaliate, then they retaliate. They aren't the Ted Bundys, but they are the Ted Bundys of those low poverty, you know, neighborhoods and Mm -hmm. mental disorder. Yeah, yeah, it does cause a lot of numbness and a lot of um, just kind of going through the motions in life. And um, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, thank you so much. We're going to go ahead and go to another break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about post-traumatic growth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and uh, today I am joined by uh, Tahani Saeed, and we are talking post-traumatic growth. So, Tahani, I want to know a little bit more about you. Um, what is your journey, and kind of what brought you to where you are today, with with really helping people through their own difficult times? Um. Well, I think that the, the platform. Well, I'm not going to even say think. The platform that actually helped me. Um, be able to, uh, to, to to speak my voice and to also pull people in and to feel comfortable with sharing their stories as well was the fact that I I um I wrote my book. But um, I found that a lot of things, and I always say this in a lot of the interviews that I do, I felt like a lot of things were not being addressed when it came to um just the urban lit. And I don't, I never throw shots at the urban lit because that's what, what's gotten here. But I do yeah. feel that a lot of the um, books that are focused on, um, you know, the black communities and melanated communities are mm-hmm. always based on the same thing. And you will hear, hear me say this over and over again in all of my interviews, because this is something that I, I stand by. And this is something that was actually um, the start of, 
you know, for me as, you know, being a writer and for coming up with this book. A lot of things that are addressed in these books, um, these novels are, you know, um, it could be about drugs. A lot of it's about sex, um, money, um, you know, prostitution and just the fast way, like the fast lifestyle. And that's yeah. not what happens in all of our lives as melanated people. Not everyone right. is born into a family, you know, who has crack addicted parents. You know, not everyone um, is born into a family where, you know, um, they were abused sexually, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But however, you know, if they are, it isn't spoken on. So I wanted to bring yeah. these things to the forefront because a lot of times they're swept under the rug and then they become the norm. And it's not normal. It's not normal. And we have to stop right. pretending like it's okay. And sometimes you have to address those issues. And sometimes we have to revisit those traumatizing experiences that we've gone through in order to get us through into the next level in life. So my book focuses on domestic violence sexual abuse, as you can see, you know, I don't know if you've gotten to the HIV portion of the book. Um, I don't know if I said mental illness, racism. Um, right. What else? Um, I mean, it covers everything you can possibly imagine. And unfortunately for these things, I don't see it disappearing. I don't see it going anywhere. But what I do see is if people pick up the book, and if people are open and willing to speak up and speak out and do things to help bring other victims in and give them a platform to speak on these topics, it's a way yeah. of helping each other and getting that stuff off of your chest, chest, excuse me, and letting off that very heavy load because that's a whole a whole load that you carry, and you carry that not only into relationships with you know male and female, but you take this into your workplace. You bring this mm -hmm. to your family. You know these things need to be addressed, and we have to stop brushing it under the rugs. So when I wrote this, when I wrote this book, I wanted to not only entertain my readers, but I also wanted to educate them on the symptoms of HIV, the medications to look out for, for, yeah. you know, if you have a spouse who isn't being honest, you know, mm -hmm. I have a friend yeah. who was infected by his girlfriend. She had, he had no idea she had it for 12 years. They dated wow. for years and come to find out she had HIV and gave it to him. Wow. But, you know, she never told him. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to pull from that is when you said that people who, um, you know, have, you know, different kinds of personal life struggles, mm -hmm. that does permeate to different parts of their life. Um, mm -hmm. So the workplace, so the person that your job that might be highly toxic in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Uh, mm -hmm. that might be creating a lot of drama. The mm -hmm. boss that is condescending probably has a, a significant amount of dra uh, trauma yep. that they are, and I almost said drama, but look, it, it translates to drama, <laughs> um, but a, a significant amount of trauma that they are battling through that we mm -hmm. may never ever see because all we see is the behavior that's toxic to us. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So, one of the things that I, um, in fact, in one of my classes I was teaching last night, we were talking about how work environments can be really difficult and really toxic. And what do we need to do to make sure that people are being treated better? And I said, you know, we could put all the policies and procedures in place that we want. We can implement all these diversity trainings and all of this. And, and look, I'm, I'm not knocking it because I do those things as well. 
Mm-hmm. But until we get to the actual human beings who are messed up mm-hmm. and, and they do the work, mm-hmm. it's not really going to change as long as we have these people who are hurting working yep. among us. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think it's, it's more so of a person coming to grips and really accepting. Um, it's about accepting it's about um, taking responsibility and then most importantly, forgiving yourself. Because I believe that once you can forgive yourself, then you're able to forgive those who you feel have done you wrong. Yeah. Because we look at ourselves as being, like I said, again, unworthy if we've gone through situations and we haven't addressed those things. And, and one thing I do want to say, too, is that I, I've had this happen to me several times. Whenever I mention therapy or, or speaking to a therapist, I'll even recommend it to my friends. And it's just mm-hmm. so sad that, you know, there's a stigma on a melanated person seeing a therapist. We're looking yeah. at me and, you know, you're, you shouldn't see a therapist. That's for Caucasian people. Why not? Mm-hmm. Why not? Right. Because I'd rather tell it to a professional than tell it to someone who I believe is a friend only to have it thrown in my face later on. Well, the thing about um, our communities is that we have been taught to, um, to to keep things in the home to, you know, we don't we don't put that outside. We you know, what happens in the home stays in the home. Mm-hmm. And part of it has been a protective measure against larger society um, mm-hmm. over time. You know, you know, census comes to the house and it's like hide the kids, you know. And so there's this there's been this whole mentality that has been about we need to stay quiet because the the man, the government, whoever it is, um, or just shoot the people next door, you know, whoever it is, mm-hmm. um, they're going to come get us. They're going to take down what we're doing. So that has translated into let's be silent about the trauma that happens in the house as well, which mm-hmm. is problematic, you know, obviously, because now we're dealing with all kinds of other pain. Um, so w- one of the things I want to get into is the research and just, um, there's, a when we look at, so a lot of people don't actually know what post-traumatic growth is. And so I want to make sure we have an understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, um, post-traumatic growth is positive psychological change. Um, so it's this change that's happening on the inside experienced as a result of adversity and challenges. So everything that you named that's happening in that book, everything that you named that's happening in Chicago, these are all forms of adversity, forms of, of difficulty. And what happens is that after these things happen, what post-traumatic growth is, is the ability to rise above that after it happens and to in fact make your life better because of the lessons learned or the strength and the resilience that one has built. Um, And so what happens when somebody experiences post-traumatic growth, there are five different benefits that happen. And number one is they have a greater appreciation for life. They realize, oh my gosh, maybe they almost lost their life. Um, And then they start to have a better appreciation for life. Number two, they have a better um, they have better relationships with others. Mm-hmm. So not only do they appreciate life, but they appreciate the people in their lives and the people who love and care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, they have new possibilities in life. So they realize, wow, maybe I can pursue that career I wanted to pursue. Maybe I can write that book. That's maybe nice. I can have the love of my life. So you start to have those possibilities. Um, there's two more. One is number four is personal strength. Mm-hmm. So I am stronger. I got through that thing. 
And yeah. now I see my strength. Yeah. And then number five is spiritual change. And so you start to be a little bit more spiritually connected or a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, by, and, and really, I think when I see or when I hear spiritual connection, I think you see the bigger picture. You realize mm-hmm. that there is a greater purpose to why you are here and you start to really connect to that. That's so those right. are the five. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Have you witnessed anybody who has gone through that growth process? Um, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that, Dr. Pamela. I just created a um, a workshop, like a program that I haven't launched yet. And it addresses every single thing that nice. you just mentioned. Um, I do want to offer that to, to everyone, to my readers, my subscribers, my followers. I want to offer that exercise to everyone free of charge, because I believe that, you know, everything nowadays is about money, what you can get, what you can get, what you sometimes you have to get back in order to give more. See, yeah. for me, it's not about the money for me. It's about uplifting and helping people because that's what we need. But um, mm-hmm. I, I will say um, I would love to use my mom as a, as an example of being a woman who has gone through so much but who is able to stand here today and to give the most beautiful testimony because my mom lost her mother at the age of 12. Um, And I can't even imagine losing my mother now at the age of 40. So, um, you know, my mom, I mean, I, I give so much respect to her because, you know, I I mean, the, the things I've seen her, her go through and you know just the trials and tribulations and just having to learn about herself and her body and she had you know she had elder sisters she had sisters there you know with her but this was something that she had to learn on her own and for her to not have had a mother figure you know besides my aunt who passed away god bless her her name is aunt louise but uh you know aside from having her my mom had to teach herself how to be a woman and how to be yeah. the perfect mother. And I'm not saying that at times, you know, we didn't have slip ups and, you know, hiccups in the road, but overall she did a wonderful job. And one thing my mother always tells me and my sisters, because I am the eldest of four, she tells us, you know what, no matter what you go through, always realize that you are the prize and never make that. yourself comfortable being uncomfortable. Never put yourself in a situation where you're comfortable being uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And yes. she, she's my rock. She's my everything. She is. I love it. I love it. Passing on the lessons to the next generation. That's beautiful. Um, well, we're going to go take another break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. Uh, so stay with us on the live exchange. We'll be right back. Thank you. And today I am joined by Tahani Saeed, and um, she is the author of Less Now, Cry Later. Um, and uh, we we're talking about post-traumatic growth. And one of the things that um, in the last uh, segment we talked about, um, you know, really the benefits of the growth or really the manifestation, what we see when somebody grows after trauma. And um, I think that's important to point out that the trauma, growing after trauma doesn't just happen. It's not just like you wake up one morning and you're growing. It's, it actually requires some action. It requires that you do something in order to grow. Um, and there's three really um, 
there's actually four, but I'm going to focus in on three um, ways that we can nurture or trigger our own growth after a traumatic experience. And one is to have a um, sense of optimism. You know, there's a lot of people, and as you mentioned earlier in the show, Tahani, um, that are just cynical. They've grown cold. And if you're in that space in your life where you have grown cold, you're cynical, um, the post-traumatic growth is not likely to happen for you until you can shed that away. And you mentioned therapy. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the best ways to to get rid of some of that hardcore Mm -hmm. uh, mentality and to, to, Mm -hmm. you know, to find some optimism. Do you have anything to add about how to find your optimism when the world has made you cold? Well, first and foremost, in this world, you're not going to make it without a higher faith. Mm-hmm. We need to create a link with our creator. You can call him God. You can call him Jesus. You can call him Allah. Whatever the case may be, the link to your higher being that the higher creator is what's going to give you that strength, that motivation, the faith, the encouragement. Those are the things that you're going to need because when we wake up and look outside and look at the birds and the bees, how can we not? And I don't want to turn this into a religious you know, session, but how can we not take into accountability or really believe that there isn't a higher being that's controlling all of this? So the first place to start with is acknowledging the creator. And once you do that, look, and I'm not saying wake up in the morning and, you know, just turn your life around because everything takes time. The same way, the same way it takes time for us to, you know, heal ourselves emotionally, or even when you get a bruise, you have to nurture it and heal it. That's the same thing you have to do when it comes to creating a bond after being hurt, you know, going to, God as an antidote to help get you where you need to be. So I think that that's one of the main things people need to do is create that link with God. And then once you do that, everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. Um, But we have to be really willing to to change and and, and really be willing to accept the things that we cannot change. The things that have happened in the past, we have to let it go. Because I've heard this before, and I always say this, to live in the past is to be desert, excuse me, to live in the past is to be dead in the present. Mm. Keep on holding Keep on holding on to the past. You're never going to be able to live the life that God has intended for you to live. I love it. That's beautiful. Beautifully said. Well, you know, and so and the the other one. So that's that's how you do the optimism. You live in the present. You you thank God for what you see for for everything that has been created. That is definitely how you find your optimism. The second one here, in terms of how you get yourself to a point, point, point of growth, is being willing to try new things. When you are surrounded by the same mundane, sad, depressive, tragic environment all the time, um, it doesn't help in your own growth. Now, you may be, this is where I live, this is, you know, this is my reality. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to leave. It does mean, though, you need to be willing to find new experiences. 
um, join different organizations or clubs or athletic interests or arts and crafts or attend Tahani's workshops. Be willing to do something different. And, and a lot of people are kind of stuck in what they know and they're, they're afraid mm-hmm. to try something new or to connect with new people. Yeah, it's, it's fair. It's fair because you know why? Uh, like, like, like I said, I don't want to call it like a generational curse, but that particular person may be the very first person to step outside of that box of toxicity yep. that they've been raised in. You know yes. that, that that environment. So it it is scary. You know, you're stepping out into a whole new world of just so many different opportunities, and it's 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 scary. And, and yeah. I don't blame them. I don't blame them. But when you believe in God and, and you really, really, really are ready for that change, just like a drug addict, it happens. Mm-hmm. It happens right. when you put the, you know, all of the excuses to the side and stop blaming others and, you know, really come to grips with what has happened and, you know, forgive yourself, you know, and then. You know, it takes time to forgive others, but most importantly, you have to forgive yourself. And by doing that, that's why I I commend you so much. And I'm just I'm looking so forward to reading your book because I believe, you know, based off of what you said, you know, we need to spend that time alone. We have to. And so many people um, being alone and it makes us feel, you know, unworthy if we don't have a partner. And I always bring it back to this. Dr. Pamela. And and I can say, you know, and I say this all the time, people will know that this is just like, this is my mantra. When we grow up as women, you know, we picture ourselves at a certain age because that's what we're told, you know, and our parents don't mean any harm. Our grandparents don't mean any harm. Mom, you know, they don't mean any harm. But at a certain age, you're like, you know what, by the time you're 30, you should have that house. You should have that college degree. You should have that husband and, and those children. But what about mm-hmm. 30 and you don't have that? I mean, yeah. Can you look at that? Like, yeah. And then you're like, wait a minute. Well, am I not worthy? You know? And then you yeah. start picking and choosing people and lowering your standards because you want to meet, you know, the standards of what you've been taught. And been how taught. Supposed yeah. to be. So I, I have to say that I'm so grateful that that is the exact opposite of my mom. She's rare. But she's like, nah, don't get married. You just need to chill out, sit down somewhere and go get your job, get your career, build that. Uh, and I'm so grateful for that. But yeah, you're right. The standard is, look, you need to get married. You need to find, you know, settle down and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's that. And then what happens when it doesn't happen? What does yeah. that say about me when that doesn't happen? Yeah. Um, we, we have to take another break. When we go, uh, when we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about what Tahani does and how you all can get involved with, with the work she's doing. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hey. Uh, welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today I am joined by uh, Tahani Saeed. I was about to say, <laughs> I was about to say Wahida Clark because that's your publisher. <laughs> um, but yes, so there's the book, Lust Now, Cry Later. Um, and like I said, I have already gotten started and I'm kind of loved what I'm reading so far. Your writing is excellent, by the way. I'm also Thanks. a publisher and I'm a professor and I. I do analyze people's writing, so you've done well. (laughs) So um, I I would love to know um, how you're you're using this book in the work you're doing. You've said you've mentioned that you use it in um, with your audience. How do you use the book? 
Um, well, well, the book has definitely um, given me a platform to basically expand and just try new different things, such as, you know, with um, I'm on this side, yeah, with um, bedroom busters and bites. Um, when I write my book, I always get the the, the same questions. Um, are you any one of the characters in the book? Like, can you tell me what character is you? Mm. And I tell everyone, listen, I am every character. I created them, but there's a little bit of me in each and every one last of my characters. I say, you know, for example, I don't know if you've gotten to the part of, of, of Natalia, right? And a lot of people absolutely despise her. But <laughs> if I were a bad girl, if I were like a villain, that might be my, you know, little alter ego. Not saying uh -huh. as, you know, as, as crazy as her or just, you know, as ruthless. But, you know, sometimes you want to live on the bad side, something I wouldn't normally do outside of my real life. You know, when you think oh, that's the Mel. beauty of writing. Exactly. And then, you know, comes <laughs> to Mel, you know, um, he's the womanizer. You know, he's just mm -hmm. hard. No one likes him. Um, yeah. But uh, the like the way that um, I, I try to be in my book is transparent. And then I do that outside of my writing, because you'll see that when you watch the show Bedroom Busters and Bites, that show consists of myself, you know, my family, my friends, we're all dressed in pajamas. Um, you know, I'll have someone come on. I'm the host. I could have a person who's an upcoming chef, someone who is a, um, uh, someone who's a foodie and they'll come on and they'll cook, you know, with me and, you know, we'll have hot topics. And then I'll have another um, table, you know, or a panel of friends and family who will sit to the side and we're all engaging in, in conversations and stuff. And this stuff is not um, pre-rehearsed. It's just giving you who we are straight up to the point, raw and uncut. And that's the way that I describe my novel. Because as you can see, I get into very, very um, in-depth detail. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I let you know, I mean, a lot. You know, things yeah. that, that we may do when we're not, you know, <laughs> the things we, we we may not tell people. Like, you know, we may right. go to the bathroom and forget to wash our hands. You know, like, <laughs> I, and I might mention something like that in a book. But it's yeah. real, you know, you know, it's real. So um, I, I use that as a platform, you know, to kind of like give people a better insight of me and to let people know that I understand there's no judging here. You know, that's yeah. what I came up with, you know, the um the whole comfort corner thing that I'll be launching on my website because I want for people to be able to come and express themselves without judgment. So um so that can you tell us with what the website because we're actually about to um close out this hour, but how can people reach you? What is the website? What is, oh, um, what's the social sure. media? Sure. My website is Tahani, that's T-A-H-A-N-E-E dot -E org. Um, you can go on my website, you can find um, updates and events and different types of articles that I've written, interviews. And one last thing too, I just recently started selling these clear face masks. Ah, okay. <laughs> I get stopped all the time. So ladies, if you want to wear your mace, you know, makeup, your lipstick and still get back yes. to normalcy, you can get them from my website too. But I um, mean, yeah, I have all kinds of events and things on there, you know, where people right. stay up to date, just subscribe to the newsletter and you'll get all of the information you need on everything I have coming up.
Well, thank you so much, Tahani, for joining us today. Um, just such an important take on this whole idea of trauma and growing from the trauma. So I appreciate having you. Um, everybody stay with us. And we are going to continue this conversation uh, with Patricia Brown in the second hour. Uh, Patrice Brown in the second hour. So um, stay with us. We'll be right back. And thank you once again, Tahani. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, ladies. You too. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome to the second hour of the live exchange where we're here every Thursday from 11 to 1 talking intellect, humanity and change. Today we are talking about trauma and post-traumatic growth. One of my favorite topics because it's really about how we rise um, after adversity and it, it doesn't happen for everybody um, and I am on a mission to help other people or help as many people as possible experience what it means to grow after experiencing trauma. So in the first hour, we were joined by novelist um, Tahani Saeed, and she talked a little bit about how her book really spoke to so many different forms of trauma. Um, and then we also went into what it means to grow from trauma, uh, according to the research in post-traumatic growth. This hour, I'm really excited that we will be bringing Patrice Brown here um, to discuss the work that she does with trauma and post-traumatic growth. And um, I, I'm looking forward to it as we have a lot to learn um, about this very important concept. So stay with us. We are live on Facebook on the Sensation Station Network. Engage with us. Uh, we would love to uh, share your comments or ask your, you know, answer any questions that you may have. Um, so get involved, stay with us, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela, and today we are talking about uh, rising the power and the strength of post-traumatic growth. Um, and I'm excited to introduce our, our second guest uh, for today's show, um, Patrice Brown. Um, Patrice is a speaker and life transformation coach who is dedicated to the cause of transforming the lives of individuals who feel stuck and unable to move forward in their lives, relationships, parenting, or business. Her mission is to inspire individuals to take control of their lives. Um, she believes that everyone has their own individual uniqueness, self-worth, gifts, and talents given to them for a purpose. She helps individuals shift their mindset, which ultimately will change their way of thinking, helping to create a happier and fulfilled life. Patrice Brown, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi. Hi. Can you hear us okay now? Are you there? I can hear you. Can you okay. Hear me? Yes, I can. I can. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. So I wanted to just dive into uh, our our conversation about post-traumatic growth, but I uh, first wanted to know a little bit about who you are and, and I read your bio and everything, but what led you to the work that you're doing today? Well, I'm Patrice Siobhan Brown from North Carolina. Um, I'm a director and owner of Restoring Bodies and Minds. I've been working in the mental health field for since 2003 and just by me working with people, that was simply my inspiration. Um, and just me going through my own experiences, those are truly my motivators for not only writing and then just having a passion um, to yeah. just lead and inspire people for change. I love it. I love it. And so 
you know, it has to be rewarding to start to work with somebody and see them, you know, go through that process of transformation. So as for me going through a process of transformation, uh, I've had to overcome a, a couple obstacles and simply just changing the way that I think and like just getting away from all negativity and just setting plans and goals for myself. So um, yeah. over the couple of years, transformation has been like ever changing, like nonstop, you know, one moment mm -hmm. I'm doing one thing, the next moment I'm transforming into something different. Right, right. Yeah, and my and my thought and my comment was was also more so about the the work of transformation that you're doing with your clients and um, what that process might be like. Um, you know, how is that process for you to you know see your clients go through that process of transformation um, through the work that you do? Oh, wow. So uh, basically seeing some of the members come in suffering with depression or schizophrenia or be homeless, uh, for me, it's sort of kind of um, exciting to see them grow, um, start believing in themselves, start to get jobs, maintain housing, and just yeah. see them just overcome what was holding them back, like the different obstacles. And uh, so it could be a host of different things from them getting on their medications and uh, from from some people simply healing or some of the habits that they had, like substance abuse addiction, um, going yeah. to rehab. To me, it's exciting and just getting to see change from the different people. That's enough for me. Just working in mental health. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I really want to delve into, I don't know if you recently heard about uh, Tina Turner. She's she's created this new um, documentary and it's her farewell to all of her fans. Um, I just read about it last night and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is she's leaving us. She's leaving us. Um, but she's got multiple health issues that she's really struggling with that is kind of caused her to say, you know, I, I've, I've got to just I want to bow out in this last phase of my life um, and just bow out in peace without being in the spotlight. Um, so her illnesses included a stroke, cancer, um, and basically the trauma that she's experienced, um, you know, in her life. In, in this article she wrote and in the documentary, she said, my life hasn't been good. And she's 81 years old. And I, I just can't imagine what that must be like to look back on your whole life and conclude that my life was not good. And I don't know if you've seen any of that, um, uh, any of her story, but, you know, she, I, we all know about Ike Turner and just kind of the abuse that she experienced in that life. Um, and I would assume as a life coach, your commitment is that people at 81 wouldn't be able to look back in their life and say that just basically the whole life wasn't good, but that there's things that we can do now, you know, to prevent that. Can you hear me? Is she gone? She's gone. Okay. Yeah, she's um <laughs> having a little bit of like sound issues and everything. So she's she's okay. coming back. Okay. Well yeah. No, that's good. I can um continue on um, you know, just to kind of go dig in a little bit with Tina Turner. Um, it's so interesting to look at her life and to look at how she has um endured you know, the, the different challenges that she's had, um, the different, um, forms of trauma that she's faced. So, um, and she's back, she's back. Hey there, Patrice. Can you yeah, hear me now? I'm, here. I'm so sorry. Can oh, you hear no, me? No. 
Yes, yes, we can. We can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I'm having so, difficulties, so I, I really do apologize. Oh, no, um, you're fine. What was the question before we left off? Yeah. Yeah. So let me get a pulse on, on how long we have before break. And then maybe we could either deal with this before or after. Um, so should we? Two minutes. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So, so I'll lay the foundation for you a little bit. And this is uh, Tina Turner has decided that she is going to exit the career um, um, and dive into, uh, well, not dive into, but she has found love and love that is healthy. As we know, Ike Turner was not all that healthy for her, um, to say the least. And uh, she has decided to quietly exit, you know, the scene um, in peace. She's 81 years old. And her thought is, my life has not been good. So for her at 81 years old, to look back upon her life and conclude that it was not good. I know that myself as a life coach, it hurts my heart to hear that. And that's exactly the work, why I do the work that I do so that people don't look at their lives at 81 and say, my life wasn't good. Um, she, we, so yeah. we lost Patrice again. We lost Patrice again. <laughs> uh, but just continue. We're going to actually have like 30 minutes, 30 seconds till out. And so we're going to. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I want all of you to think about, you know, what that might be like in, um, and what you can do today to create the story that you want to be able to tell about your life when you're 81. Um, I personally have decided to live to 120 years. There's a book that's actually called that. I have decided to live 120 years. Um, and when you do that, it changes your total mindset about how you pursue your life, about the way that you perceive mortality, about what you think about the time you have left and what you do with the time you have. Um, and so something to think about if you haven't read about Tina Turner and the um, documentary that she has coming out, please definitely check it out. Um, but we're going to go ahead and go through a break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Do we have our guest back or no? I'm going to assume not. Okay. All right. So um, we are talking today about post-traumatic growth and um, we're looking at really the strength of post-traumatic growth. It's one of my, um, I guess the topics that's most near and dear to my heart because um, it is something that we all have the opportunity to experience, but we may not always know how to experience it. We may not understand um, what it takes to experience growth because trauma can be so incredibly debilitating and silencing and shameful um, that the thought of taking a step forward and and facing it and addressing it can be absolutely terrifying for many of us. And, and I think that that's probably one of the biggest reasons why we never, some of us never experience growth in a particular area or even healing in a particular area because it, it means addressing it. It means dealing with that thing, that monster that it is terrifying to us. Um, so what does it take to actually deal with it? And, and the manifestation of carrying that trauma around, um, it you know it looks like so many different things. Um, in the first hour, um, Tahani and I talked about how the manifestation of trauma can show up anywhere in our lives. Um, you know, let's talk about the workplace. Let's talk about the nasty boss that we may have in the workplace, or the colleague that is just 
um, you know, has this terrible attitude, you know, or the family member that lashes out, you know, with no rational reason. These are all manifestations of trauma that that have gone unaddressed um, over the years. And, and does it mean we give it a pass? Does it mean we give them a pass and we allow them to abuse us? No, absolutely not. Um, but it might give us some insight into why these kinds of behaviors happen. And if that can get addressed, then perhaps we can do something about the toxicity that we see in different areas of our lives. Um, and if it doesn't get addressed, then we need to know how to protect ourselves from that toxicity if it's not us. And if it is us, if we are the ones, if we're the perpetrators, then I'm here to tell you that there is a way to you know, to recover from that trauma that we may be experiencing in life. And one of the things that we talked about in the first hour were strategies for positioning ourselves to experience post-traumatic growth. And of those different strategies, um, and, and I'll reiterate them again, number one is to have experiences, um, I'm sorry, is to, to take on a mindset of optimism, meaning I am going to choose to have hope for my future. Uh, it doesn't look good right now. I don't really see the ways that that my life is going to get to where I want it to go. But I have to start with the optimism because when I start with the optimism, then I start becoming much more intentional about finding those pathways. I become much more intentional in the way that I speak. And by speaking it, I bring different opportunities to myself because I may be talking to somebody who has a door that can open for me. Um, I may be just in, in speaking the hope, in speaking the optimism, I might find a way to motivate myself so that I want to get up every morning because I heard myself say that my life can be different and my life can be better. So that I'm, so I'm going to go ahead and just keep speaking this. I'm going to walk in this optimism. Even if I'm not feeling it right now, I am going to commit to walking in this optimism because one day something is going to manifest as a result of me walking in this. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're walking in pessimism, that is a guaranteed no. That is a guaranteed I, closure or blockage to any kind of pathway that you want to take. So the first one of the one, well, I don't want to say the first, but one of the most important steps to experiencing post-traumatic growth from growing after our trauma is to be able to adopt a mindset of optimism, that there can be a different outcome for me. There can be a different future for me. I may not know what it is right now, but I am going to step into that optimism and I'm going to keep stepping into that optimism. It's like exercising. You know, I, when we stop exercising for a while, we get out of shape. So I'm going to get back in shape with my optimism so that I can see the possibilities that um, that exist for me in my life. The only way anybody has ever stepped out of the muck and the trash and the, the, the yuckiness of the life that they may be experiencing is by believing that there is something different and something better for them. The other, this, the second one is being willing to try new experiences. Sometimes we get so caught up in the everyday life that we have, we get caught up in what we know 
and what is familiar to us that we lose um, the willingness to try something new. We are afraid, we're terrified of trying something new. Therapy, great example. Um, Therapy is an absolute must when it comes to overcoming different forms of trauma. And you're not, if, if, if therapy is not a, par, a normal part of your language or the language of the circle you're in or the language of the family you're a part of, that is going to be a new experience and a new experience that you need to be willing to step out into. Um, so if you want different outcomes, if you want uh, a new direction for your life, it is going to be absolutely essential that you experience or that you're willing to try new experiences. Of course, experiences that are healthy, um, that will serve you, that will move you to the next level. So not just any new experience, but a new experience that um, will will help to build you and make you better. So I, I we're gonna go to a break. Um, there are a couple of more strategies that I wanna share for growing after trauma. Um, So stay with us, add your comments, engage in this conversation, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Love and Change. I'm Dr. Pamela. And um, today we are talking about post-traumatic growth, um, really the strength of post-traumatic growth and what what it can do for us if we know how to claim it, if we know how to actually experience that growth. And so I talked about um, three or two so far different strategies for how to get that, you know, how to claim that growth or how to um, create growth in our lives after experiencing trauma. And the first one was being willing to um, or choosing to uh, have a positive and optimistic mindset. You know, it's really about believing that there's a possibility that things can be different for us. Um, The next one is um, being willing to try new experiences. Um, So I I talked about that whole idea of um, really being willing to step out of your comfort zone and, um, and, try something new. Of course, things that are um, empowering and life-giving to you um, is what's going to help you, but you've got to be willing to step out and do it. Um, the other one is kind of related to this. So the third one is, is you know, a bit related to the idea of being willing to step out on, um, you know, and do something that is not necessarily within your comfort zone. And that is um, having moments of extroversion. And I have to say, having moments of extroversion, because, you know, know, the researchers um, at University of North Carolina, they're the one who, you know, um, Calhoun and Tedeschi are the ones who kind of laid this out. And, um, you know, they basically um, the word extroversion is what's used. And I am not an extrovert, um, believe it or not. I'm more of an introvert. And um, so when I saw that, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Does that mean that post-traumatic growth is not, you know, for me? Um, and no, that's not the case at all. Um, it just means that you have to be willing to have moments of extroversion, um, that you should be willing to um you know, which basically means engaging with other people, building relationships, connecting, um, because that is how you, um, you grow, you, we grow with relationships, we grow in context, um, to how we engage and interact with other people. And so the more that we are willing to, um, 
have those extroversion moments, um, the more the more willing we are or the more likely we are um, to grow from those kinds of experiences. So it's really important for us to claim those moments of extroversion, even if we're not feeling incredibly um, extroverted uh, in the moment. So find ways, you know, to engage with other people, even if it it means, you know, we're in COVID right now. So there's not necessarily, um, you know, a, a whole lot of outward social activities that we uh, can get involved with. Um, but, uh, you know, if we're doing it safely, um, but we can do things like, um, you know, have Zoom calls with others, with people who are, you know, um, you know, important to our life, um, things that, um, you, you know, connect us with other people in, in ways like a paint and sip virtually, um, karaoke. I mean, there's a lot of things that people are doing to engage with other people. So, um, so that third one, having moments of extroversion, um, is going to get you connected to people. We need people. The fact of the matter is we need people. We need to be willing to connect with people. Um, because, when we handle things, when we try to handle everything in a bubble, um, you know, it doesn't serve us well. Um, we, we really need to be able to uh, build those relationships and maintain those relationships. And the fourth one is uh, positive affect. And what that means, it means I know that I have the ability or the capability to positively um, impact somebody in their life. Um, and, and you may not know that until you step out and start doing it. Positive affect means that um, something I do, I have something to give. I have something to contribute to society. Even if that means a literal, I am donating clothes, I'm donating furniture, whatever it is, I am donating my time. Um, I spend time with young people and I talk to them about my journey so that I can help them with their journey. Um, but it's that that idea of knowing that you have purpose and you have something that you can can um, give that positively influences the world in some shape, some way, shape or form. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have this big you know, momentous kind of purpose, but it, it could be that your influence really just touches the circle of people that are around you. Um, you know, younger siblings, nieces, nephews, your parents, even I have something that I can give to the people that touch my life in some way, shape or form. So how do I create growth? in my life after trauma. Number one, you commit to a mindset of optimism. Even if you don't believe it yet, even if you don't feel it, commit to a mindset of optimism. Practice it every morning. Say the words that you need to say. Number two, being willing to try new experiences. Number three, having moments of extroversion. Even if you're not an extrovert, you know how to connect with other people. And then number four, positive affect. What can I do that positively touches somebody else? When we do those things, that is how we experience or position ourselves to experience growth after trauma. If we can use our traumatic experiences as a starting point for where we want to be in our life, this happened this thing was very traumatic. 
I see where I am now or where I was, but here's where I want to be. And I'm going to use that as my launching pad to get myself to where I want to be. So I can't emphasize enough the importance of being able to turn a traumatic experience into your purpose and growing from that. And so we've seen examples of that um, in a lot of different people who are at the forefront of, of, um, you know, a lot of movements. And so they often had things that they had to overcome and rise above um, in order to get to where they are today. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to throw in a little joy into this conversation. Let's sprinkle some joy. Um, So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the the research that's out there on joy. Uh, So stay with us. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Live Exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. And today we are talking about um, the strength, rising, the strength and the power of post-traumatic growth. What happens after we've experienced trauma? How do we grow from it? And um, we got a really great question um, from the listener that I want to um, touch on. The question was, how do you just, how do you support optimism in yourself um, in others in such a time of cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, really, it's like we have, and for those of you who are like, um, you know, yeah, I, the times are crazy. How can I possibly be optimistic in times like this? You know, I'm supposed to, you want me to just be happy-go-lucky when we've got a pandemic, um, when we've had all of this political unrest, when we have, um, you know, a shooter going into uh, salons in in Georgia and and shooting people. Like, where is the room? Where is the opportunity to experience optimism? Um, And I say that this is um, a a common place where I ask the question, where is your power? Where is your power in this situation? Yes, there are a lot of things that we don't have control over. There are a lot of things that are happening that if we could choose we would make things happen completely differently. So the question that I, I like to pose in moments like this is, where actually, where is your power in this situation? What can you do? And sometimes we might feel so powerless and so hopeless that the only thing that we can do is maybe just take a breath, just inhale and exhale, let it out. Sometimes that is the only thing we feel like we can do. And if that's where you are right now, start there. Start there and build from there. So I, I, I can't even knock the idea that I don't feel like there's anything I can do, but I can take a breath. That's huge in and of itself. So take those breaths. Take those breaths because, you know, physiologically, the breaths nurture the brain. The breaths calm the brain down. So if that's what you need to do, start there and then start thinking about the other pockets of life in which you have power. So what can I do? Well, I can walk every day. So I'm going to just get up and I'm going to walk every day. What else can I do? I can wake up every morning and I can speak five things that I'm grateful for every day. I can do that. Where's my power? I can... um, pick up the phone and perhaps call the one person who understands me, you know? So there's, and whether or not those are your specific things, the the key is to find out where your power is. So while you may not be able to, you know, um, in this pandemic tomorrow, 
in, with your own two hands, while you may not be able to do that, what are some things that you can do to ease your own experience, to give yourself peace of mind, to give yourself hope for the future? What are the things that you can do today in small doses? Because, you know, the whole expression of how do you eat an element, an elephant? One little bite at a time. So sometimes we get overwhelmed and we get discouraged because we see this big monstrous picture and we see all of these these things that need to be done in order for that big monstrous thing to go away when sometimes we need to just take it one small bite at a time. Just looking at the, the one small thing we can do on an everyday basis, hour by hour, moment by moment, I'm going to start with taking a breath. What can I do after that? That's how we find our moments of optimism by taking it small steps at a time, small pieces at a time um, without allowing ourselves to be incredibly overwhelmed by the reality of our world. We have a separate reality that we can create in our own world that will at least get us started on the journey to growth, on the journey to peace, on the journey to joy. So speaking of joy, um, I really wanted to kind of pivot a little bit um, and talk about how joy is connected to everything that we're talking about today. Um, Because really what trauma does is it, it seeks to rob us of our joy and trauma leads to depression. And depression is essentially the absence of joy. So if we can understand the way that joy works in our lives, if we can understand how to tap into our joy and how to bring forth the joy, um, then we may be able to overcome the trauma and rise above the depression. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, one of the things, if we, if we go back to the workplace, Um, There is a term called psychological safety, and that basically means that um, in this place of work, I am free to be who I am. I am free to speak my truth, and I'm not going to be shamed for it. I won't be punished for it. I won't be diminished because of it. So I am free to be who I am. Um, And so a lot of the works, the workshops and the trainings that are surrounding diversity and inclusion um, that are surrounding uh, you know, uh, dignity and, and all of those things um, talk about this idea of psychological safety, that we need to get our workplaces to a place of psychological safety. Well, I would like to offer that psychological safety should be the baseline. That should be the least of what a workplace or let's take it to a family uh, home environment should offer. We shouldn't be aspiring upwards to psychological safety because that means that we are already below the belt. That means we are already toxic and that that we are are exposing people to trauma and despair if we are already living below psychological safety. So I, I commend the efforts that say, let's get to psychological safety. Let's create environments of psychological safety. I will I will say that that is we are behind the eight ball if that's the goal, because we really should be at the base level at psychological safety. And then what we should be working towards are creating environments of joy. 
So if we were to look at this where, where ground zero was psychological safety and below ground zero is trauma and above ground zero is joy, it, it paints the picture that if we are just aiming to get to psychological safety, it means that we are existing and asking to produce and perform and love and live in trauma because anything below psychological safety is unhealthy, is dangerous, is traumatic. So let's aim to at least be at that baseline of psychological safety. And once we're there, you know, and I say, let's aim for that, but we should be there. That should be the minimum expectation of when I take a job somewhere or when I am a part of a family unit, that we have that psychological safety. So given that that's the case, then how do we aim for joy? How do we create environments and experiences of joy? And and I will focus in on our individual experiences of joy Um, because a lot of this stuff starts within. Yes, there are things that family units, things that organizations can do to create joyful um, and a joyful environment. But if we can look at what we can do for ourselves to create that joy so that we can overcome the trauma and overcome the depression, um, you know, there's a, there's a few ways to look at our joy. Um, and one of those ways that I, and I'll tell you the four, um, it, the four manifestations of joy, and this is according to my own research, um, the, the experience of joy, the emotion of joy, the state of joy and the expression of joy. Um, and so with the experience of joy, this is all about being able to create joyful experiences. What are those things that make you laugh, that make you want to dance, that that just overwhelm you so much that you just um, can't contain it? Um, sometimes that might mean, I don't know, going ice skating or having a really amazing conversation with somebody. Um, you know, what does it take to create an experience of joy? Um, so that's the first one, the experience of joy. The next one is the emotion. A lot of us have, are afraid of our emotions. We're afraid to allow the tears to fall when it's an overwhelmingly joyful experience, um, to scream for joy, all of those expressions of emotion, um, we've got to free ourselves to experience. So when it happens, so many of us are numb. So many of us are waiting for the other ball to drop, you know, like, oh yeah, it's great now, but something's going to happen and that joy will be gone. Well, yeah, that's the way life goes. We cycle in and out of joy. We cycle in and out of pain. Um, but how do we embrace those moments of joy as they're happening and allow that emotion to be fully expressed? So those are the first two, the experience of joy and the emotion of joy. I'll give you the other two manifestations of joy when we come back. So stay with us on the live exchange. Welcome back to the live exchange. I'm Dr. Pamela. And um, today we are talking about um, growth after trauma and uh, really that strength of post-traumatic growth and what it means, you know, after you've experienced something traumatic, how do you grow from it? And um, so we talked about some of the the research um, in post-traumatic growth. And so I am also integrating a little bit of 
joy and what that means um, when we are experiencing joy. So I have two here, or four, we've talked about the experience as one of the manifestations of joy. So really diving into the joyful experience. Um, and then we have the emotions, being willing to allow those emotions that we experience to come through when they're joyful. Um, we're so accustomed to the negative emotions and the and the the sadness and the you know uh, the, the emotions that come along with that um, that we are not necessarily used to the vulnerability of joy um, and the emotions that come around joy. So we've got to allow ourselves to feel that. The last two um, would be the state of joy. Um, this is really about your mindset. This is really um, kind of what I was talking talking about, about being willing to, um, you know, or, or proactive, I should say, about gratitude and the things that we're grateful for, the things that bring us joy, really having a mindset that enables us to stay um, in, in a, a joyful state. Because when we're in a joyful state, it doesn't matter what's happening. And this might also um, kind of speak to the question that one of our listeners asked about how do we stay optimistic in a, in a, when the world is the way it is? Um, I have news for you. The world is, is probably going to stay the way it is in many ways for a very long time. Um, but it doesn't mean that we need to stop what we're doing because people are still being transformed and people are still being rescued and uplifted and empowered, even in spite of some of the things that we see happening in this world. So we can't lose heart. We can't give up. Um, so the state of joy is what allows us to, to be fueled, to keep going, to, to, to just find um, that internal strength to continue on when things don't look so good. So that's the state of joy. It's about our mindset. And the last one is the expression of joy. A little bit different from emotion because the emotions are those things that well up inside of us and it's just like, you know, we don't know what to do with them. The expression of joy is when we let it out and we we physically respond to the joy that we are experiencing. So we may scream, we may dance, we may, um, you know, embrace somebody tightly because of the joy that we feel. Um, I have been in situations and relationships in which it wasn't cool to express your joy, where, you know, if I were to express an abundance amount of joy, I would be looked at like, why are you doing, what are you doing? That's stupid. Why are you being dumb? And so when we are in environments that stifle our joy, um, it truly, it, or stifle our joy expression, I should say, it truly stifles our, our joy. So we've got to be um, willing to position ourselves to experience joy because those are, that is one of the most important strategies in ensuring that the depression that we could experience that we may be experiencing doesn't take over so that is a lot in 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 two hours to talk about how to overcome the trauma that we may experience but hopefully you've been able to kind of pick up some nuggets that you can use in your own life at least as a starting point don't expect that everything is going to happen all at once, that you're going to recover all at once, or that you're going to find joy all at once, especially considering the landscape we're living in. But at least be willing to start somewhere and grow from there. Bring in some partners, you know, get your friends on board, but be willing to start somewhere and grow from there. 
So I want to thank you so much for tuning in today to the live exchange where every Thursday from 11 to 1, we are talking humanity, intellect, and change. Next week, uh, join us as we will be discussing childhood struggles and sex trafficking, a very important issue. And we're going to have two guests on who can help us dissect that a bit. Um, Together, we can right the wrongs, speak the truth, rise above, and stand for change. Have an empowering week.